What's up, everybody? Welcome to the first episode of Jab Journals. I'm your host, Dan Smith. I'm here in Dynamic Boxing Club of Westland, Michigan. I'm here with the WBA Continental Champion, Rico O'Quinn. Rico, how we doing today? We doing good, man, as always. So it's been a couple months now since your big fight in Arizona with uh, Peter McGrail. One fifth round knockout. How do you feel? How was that moment after you won? It was a shocker to the world. But I knew it was gonna happen at some point. The pros, and he was doing so much amateur style, moving, not committing on his punch. And you gotta last 10 rounds, 10, 12 rounds without getting caught with a good, clean shot. And you don't know how to put his hands up. So I knew it was a matter of time. Now, the fight wasn't going your way leading up to the knockout. Was there something that was said in your corner? Was it something you've been working on in the gym? Something you were waiting on the right timing for? What was it that just finally clicked and you got that knockout? Um, you know, you got that European style bounce, jitteriness. I knew it was going to give me problems. I knew that style was going to give me problems. I told my corner that, don't panic. He going to come out shooting. He going to come out fighting. But when I catch his timing, shit going to change. I didn't expect him to go to sleep on me in the fifth round, but I expected to hurt him and me hop on him. When I hit him with that right hand, that was all she wrote. Now, is that something that you always have in your back pocket? Something you know, I might not be getting the better of him, but I know I can crack. So I know at any moment I can end this fight. I always got in my back of my mind that if a motherfucker outboxing me, I'm gonna make it ugly. We gon' we gonna we in the fight now. Cause I ain't if you outbox me, I can't, you know what I'm saying? Your skills yep. back. We gotta you gotta fight. Right. And the most motherfuckers that can box can't fight. And in his case it was just uh I can punch. I know I can. They don't know I can. They didn't they didn't think nothing of me. You know what I'm saying? I didn't have no respect going into the fight. So that leads to my next question. Do you think they overlooked you for this fight? Of course. Well, I believe you said something in one of your press conferences that they cherry picked you and they picked the wrong cherry. Is that the I told them they they took it for granted. Yeah. I told them. Y'all picked the wrong cherry. You selectively picked me. You saw my last fight. And he said his style is perfect for me. Okay. You well, proved him wrong, yeah, right? Wrong. Right. Now, something that, you know, kind of led to the inspiration to this podcast was that, you know, Peter McGrail's an Olympian from England. Eddie Hearn was really pushing him, really behind him, had training camps, probably has cooks. You know, someone wakes him up in the morning to run. You don't have those luxuries. What's it like? What's the average day in the life of Rico O'Quinn leading up to a big fight like that? Leading up to that fight, I got up at 4 in the morning, every morning, Monday through Friday at least, and I went to work for 10 to 12 hours a day. And then I came to the boxing gym on the way home. And, you know, that's how my day went. And then after that, I go home, eat, shower, sleep, and repeat. Yep. You know what I'm saying? And you cook your own meals, right? You, you're meals. your own dietitian. You're your own cook. Everything. Everything yep. on my own. I ain't had nobody backing me, no money behind me or nothing like that. Everything on my own. You know what yep. I'm saying? I pay for my uniform. I have my brother make those. I pay for my own diet, my own food. I cook my own food. Everything done by me. Now, what is what is your day-to-day job? I drive trucks. That's yep. what I was doing. You're just an average guy that happens to be a professional fighter at the top level. And that believes in myself and yep. got faith in myself. Yep. That's what separates you from guys like Peter McGrail and, and guys he's spoiled. Yeah, spoiled, he's right? A good kid, he's spoiled though. Now, what I think, what he's I think sheltered. is, what I think is missed by people is that you had a pretty good amateur career yourself. You won national championships at all three levels. Youth. Oh, elite. that shit don't right. mean nothing to Eddie yeah. and them. Right, I was right. Nobody. <laughs> right. Why do you think guys like Peter McGrail get that extra special attention? What do you think separates them? Why do you think guys like you go under the radar? Probably because um, the timing. Like uh, he came up, he came out the amateurs a few years after me, and that's when they was really looking at amateurs and scouting amateurs and stuff like that. Maybe it was something that, maybe it was something to do with that. Maybe it was because um, he's a foreigner, and Eddie Hearns, he pushing for all them uh, people that's outside of the United States. Mm-hmm. Like, he, he wanted them to, to succeed. Right, right. He got a hand, few or select ones from the United States that he, that he grabbed up. Yeah. Now, going into this fight, do you think 
you know, having that blue collar mentality, working those long hours and then coming home. Do you think that gives you an extra, uh, extra motivation that maybe Peter don't understand? Oh, I'm always motivated. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? And it, and it does give me an extra, it give me that chip on that shoulder that everybody count me out. I perform my best under pressure. So I wanted to be the B side. Honestly, I wanted that because I need that edge to, to push me and make me wake up like all these motherfuckers counting me out. Now, coming from the B side, I know that was the bit. We had another Detroit fighter on that card, uh, Gordy Rust. You guys were really going at it with the, uh, your your opponents at the press conference, really like promoting that B side. You know, being from Detroit, you know, we have a, a special community in boxing. You know, Detroit Detroit boxing is a big deal. Does that help you? Does that help push you, motivate you, the fans back home and everything like that? Does that does that really gear you up for a fight like this? Yeah, because not just me and, and Gordy. I feel like Michigan as a whole, we overlook. Mm-hmm. We got a lot of good guys here, but the thing that messes us up is we ain't got nobody coming to pick us up and making us, oh, you ain't got to worry about nothing, just focus on boxing. Mm-hmm. So we got to take the hard route, you know what I'm saying, the route less chosen and the, the, the route that wouldn't be chosen. We got to take the hard route just to get a fair shake. Right. And then we got to knock a guy out just to get a win. Because in my fight, had I been winning, the fight how Peter, Peter was winning, he, I gave Peter his props, he was beating me. I gave Peter his props before the fight that he's a good fighter. Yep. He never gave me no type of credit. But if I was winning the fight how he was winning the fight, I was still going to lose. Right. No way I could have won. Only My only way to win was by knockout or stoppage. You told me that we talked before the fight a little bit. You were kind of saying to me that you didn't think that if it went the distance, you weren't going to win. So is that something you had planned on? You were like, I, I have to knock him out. I have to outclass him. You know, I have to do 10 times more than he has to do to win this fight. Yeah. I got to go, go in there and... Then they're getting a uh, knockout just to get a draw. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, that's how the eye. That's how I look at it. Yeah. Eye stacked against me like that. That's something I feel like like the casual fan might not understand is that you know sometimes the odds are stacked against you. It's not just you know one fighter better than the other. You know sometimes the promoters and and the guys back pocket the judges talk about that. Like have they you faced that before this fight? They they wild with it nowadays. They rob you on TV. Yeah. Like you would have a fighter there to clear to get in there and beat the other fighter, and then he lose. You know what I'm saying? Right. So it's, it's crazy. Boxing is so corrupt. It's all about influence. Right. If you can be a big influencer, you can be a big boxer. You can be a world champion. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's yeah. crazy. So let's take a step back. Let's go Let's go back to the beginning. How'd you get into boxing? How'd you find out about Dynamic Boxing Gym? I mean, you're not from Westland. You're from down in Detroit. You know, what What brought you here? What brought you all the way out to Westland to train? All right, that's how I got into boxing. I was, I grew up in the streets and wild. I was fighting a lot in the streets fighting a lot in school, and then Dynamic Boxing Club came to this recreation center by my house. You was there, and Paul was there, and there was boxing people from the community. It was out there for, for hours, just everybody just swapping out gloves, putting on gloves, and then just boxing all of them. And then they was giving out uh, the Dynamic shirts, and I, I took the number on it, and I took it home, and I told my mom and my pops, like, I wanna get into boxing. My mama wouldn't let me do it. My pops uh, was like, oh, all right, they brushed it off for like a whole year, though. But I kept that shirt and I kept that number. I'm like, I want to go there. I want to go there. And then my mom and them, she like, what you? I'm watching boxing on TV. She like, what you gonna do when you when you get cut open like that? And I'm just like, my mind ain't gonna get cut open like that. I'm about to be whooping they. I'm about to be, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? I'm gonna be doing that to them. And then it was March of 2009. They finally brought me in. It been up ever since. Yeah, I, I noticed one thing. I've always, you know. Uh, admired about you is, is your loyalty so you always like chad jack large has been your head trainer for a long time you stuck with dynamic through through everything you know the ups and downs of your career you know what what does that mean to you just having those guys behind you throughout this whole time you know who watched you put on your gloves for the first time to now being one of the top ranked super bantamweights in the world i was raised on principle 
did. I can't, I wouldn't say I was raised on a code because the codes changed. I was raised on principle and principle never changed. And loyalty is one, mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying? So I came out here, I started with these guys and this is what I'm gonna finish with. I got brought out here because I was trying to go to any gym that was close. And I had jungle gym that was close to me. I'm like, that's right up the street on Greenville, right down the street from the crib. My pops was like, no, we ain't going with them. We're going to go against them. Mm -hmm. Them the guys that you think good, well, we're going to take you out here and you're going to fight against them. And I'm like, all right, just, I don't want to go. I want to go anywhere. I can fight. Like, I ain't know how to box, but I can fight. And I believed in myself. And I came out here. And then next thing you know, I was fighting everybody. And I got looked over. Mm -hmm. You know, not was looked at a gym like with softies. And um, besides Dan. And then me and my brother came in. It was like, who was that? Damn. Them boys right. nice. Them boys right. some killers. But at first, it was like I, I peep game, like people watching me, getting my gloves on, and other people asked my fighters that I was fighting, like, hey, who you fighting? And I remember vividly people saying, oh, him? You from Dynamic? Oh, you better stop. You better stop. Right. And that right there put a chip on my shoulder, and that just made, that, that created different hunger in me. Yeah, know? so you've kind of used that to kind of fuel your, your whole career then. I like being all eyes stacked against me. Right, right. You know, again, I, I go back to the press conferences and all your, you know, always just repping the B-side, saying like, all right, they put me on the B-side for a reason, and, and you use that to food you in that fight. And I think I think it's really what, what guided you through that fight and kept you in it because you knew that they were underestimating you and you knew you had to prove them wrong. Yep. And, and, and I embrace it because I want to feel good being, I'm, I'm supposed to win and I win. Like, okay, wow, you were supposed to win. You know what I'm saying? But when you... It hit different when you're supposed to lose mm -hmm. and you come out on top. And I've been asking Chad, my trainer, that for a long time. And I was asking my other promoter that for a long time. Like, he was trying to give me guys with lopsided records. I'm like, no, give me somebody better. Give me somebody that's going to make me wake up and be like, I got to go hard because I know this motherfucker coming to win. You know what I'm saying? They was trying to give me guys that was lot more losses than wins. And I'm like, no. I understand that I'm just a pro and I'm just starting out, but at least give me somebody like 14 and three. Mm -hmm. Give me somebody like 11 and four or something like that. Don't give me no guys. These guys be fighting guys like two and 30. Right. Going back to that, so you said you, you wanted to pick tough opponents. Um, I was talking to Chad when we were down in Arizona about, you know, obviously you, you suffered your first pro loss about a few fights ago and you came right back. And, then and after they, that fight, I told Chad and my, and my trainers, give me somebody tough. Right. My next fight after I, I suffered my loss, I fought a guy twenty and two, and he was a sophomore. Now you know these motherfuckers. So, I don't give a fuck if the sophomore is eleven and forty. They gonna no, he's sophomore. No, I don't want him. Right. They scared of sophomores. I took on a sophomore that was twenty and two, and he came to fight too. Yep. And then after that, I sat down with my team, and I met with some guys uh, from another promotion company, a big promotion, big promotional company, and I told them like, I don't care who y'all give me. Y'all give me a full camp. Y'all can send me in a lose or whatever. I'm, I believe in myself. Right. And don't matter who's in front of you, right? Yeah, I don't care. Yeah. As long as it makes sense, y'all going to compensate me. Y'all going to compensate me for it, though. Right. Y'all not going to treat me unfairly. Yeah, you didn't want to just go back to fighting, like, you know, tomato cans every week, right? You wanted to stay. I never wanted that. Yeah, keep your name up top and, and keep fighting the top guys so you get fights like the, the fight you just had. So, you know, what's it like going from, you know, you fought on Showtime a few times, fought on DAZN this last one. Um, obviously, your next fight's going to be on DAZN again. You know, what's it like going from, you know, a, a random club show in Detroit to the big time? And I know the Showtime cars were in Detroit, but still, the production's different. The lights are different. The pressure's different. What's it, what's it like for you as a fighter? Um... Uh... It really don't bother it you, don't right? Really you bother just, 
Yeah, it's just it's just another fight. Yeah, it's just another fight. You know, because yeah. I mean? I've been fighting in big stadiums in the country since I was an amateur. I've been out the country fighting all that. You know what I'm saying? So the atmosphere don't really bother me. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Now you've been with when your trainer Chad Jackler now for since since you started boxing, right? Having that sense of security in in the in the ring, you know, going back to the corner, seeing the same guy every time. How does that help you in a fight? Help me because I know Chad knows shit. Right. Chad been in the ring. He's a he's a former fighter himself. So it, it ain't like a lot of these trainers never been in the ring or they got in the ring in the gym before, but you ain't never been in that ring and had somebody really trying to take your head off. You know what I'm saying? So you, you don't really know exactly how it is or how it feel. And you coaching me and you can't relate to really what I'm doing. I got a lot of respect from Chad when he actually, I seen him get in the ring, you know what I'm saying? At been off the ring, I mean, being out the ring for so long and he got in the ring and sparred my brother. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? He's getting ring and sparring people. That just gave me a whole nother level of respect. Now let's get let's get back to the fight coming up in April, April 27th. Uh, your rematch with Peter McGrail. Your name's up top now. You know you got the belt. Shit. I'm still the beast. I got you. I got you. You gotta keep that. You gotta keep that attitude going forward. But what can we expect different from Rico Quinn move going into this fight? I'm getting a real cap this time. I, I'm getting. I didn't last camp. I didn't get no sparring. I worked 10, 12 hours a day, and I came. I gave the gym what I had left. Now I'm wake up in the morning, I'm working out, getting my strength and conditioning, I'm running, and then I'm going back to the gym around uh, 4:35. You know what I'm saying? So I'm getting and I'm getting sparring this time. I didn't get no sparring last camp. Right. You know what I'm saying? I don't say to me, I can't even make no excuse. I won, <laughs> but you know, but things is gonna be different. You know what I'm saying? I'm going there. I'm gonna catch his timing sooner, cause my time is gonna be on. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna be on rhythm. I'm gonna be in sync with everything. Now, just you know, just for like the casual boxing fan, right, or or just the, the even the non-fan, kind of explain what not having sparring can do to a fighter. I mean, obviously having a live person in front of you can can make the world a difference, right, in training. So, kind of explain why this will help you out more. You know, being able to spar more and, and have and have that kind of training. It's like if you ever played ba basketball. Or been on a basketball team. It's like just going through plays and not having no scrimmages, or not having no, you know what I'm saying, no real practice. Just y'all just practicing plays, like two, three zone and stuff like that. So it's just like it's like not the real thing. Mm -hmm. It's just somebody telling you what to do, and you never really going through it or to a physical standpoint. It's just like watching the video on YouTube and saying, oh yeah, I can do that, but you never tried it. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? So that's basically what it was. Now we we've been in the gym all day with you the last few hours watching you train. Uh, um, you know, cutting some videos and stuff like that. And, you know, what I've noticed is, you know, you see someone doing something wrong or doing something that that uh, that they can improve on. Do you take that role as being like a veteran in the gym, seeing the younger guys or the newer guys coming up, you know, trying to get them to be better, get them to do better so they can one day hopefully maybe step in the same kind of rings that you've been stepping in your whole life? Yeah, yeah I do. Yeah. So if I see somebody and I see they got potential, and I see they doing something that I could, if I see a flaw in it, mm -hmm. I'm going to try to fix it. Or if I see they serious and they want to learn, I'm going to show them the stance and how to protect themselves, keep their hands up, and how to throw the punches, the fundamentals. Right. I remember uh, when you were when you were coming in, when you first started coming to the gym, I just, I could tell there was, I called it the X factor. I never knew what it was or what you did different, but I had been around the sport for a while. Do you, do you kind of feel that way? Like, can you kind of feel like these new guys that come in, like you see somebody working on like, oh, he's got something and like you can work on that and kind of expound on that and make them a better fighter? I see some guys, they got a lot of potential, but most guys don't have a drive. Mm -hmm. And when I see guys that don't have a drive with potential, I just stay away from them. Yeah. Because I can't want it more than you. I can't give you none of my drive. Right. I can teach you, but 
instead they gonna come off the same because you don't want it as bad as I want it. Right. So let's stay away. You know, when we were in Arizona, you know, you rolled pretty deep with your, you know, with your, you've always had a tight circle around your mom and dad are at always every fight. You know, you had some aunts, um, your brother is everywhere with you you know that that sense of uh loyalty and that sense of just you know people just believing in you is that something that just silenced the haters and all that you know you know you know who the real ones are does that help you out you know in training during the, during the fights mm -hmm. i don't need no big entourage i got the silent ones behind me mm -hmm. i don't need a whole bunch of fakes one silent one hold more weight than 20 fakes all i need is a few that i know gonna ride with me right or wrong win lose or draw we're gonna get back are you looking forward to going to England? Is it, is it something that, that uh, in the back of your mind, you're like, man, I shouldn't be here, or, or, or can you, do you have to silence that stuff and just move forward and fight? I know I shouldn't be there. Right. So when I'm training, that's on my mind all the time. Mm -hmm. I'm going over there with the expectations from everybody else to lose because to let them tell it, I got lucky. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? So they ain't got to fix nothing, and they're going to spank me in his backyard. So that, it's a chip on my shoulder about that. And it's making, it's giving me the extra edge and pushing me harder during camp. Right now, I know the lead up to the to the, to the first fight, there was a lot of a lot of smack talking on Instagram, on social media, and all that. I uh, kept quiet. That was all them. That was in my DMs. That was in all type of shit. Saying he was smash my head in. He gonna beat me. He gonna do this. He gonna stop me. He gonna knock me out. He gonna do that. They doing it this camp too. Are they, I was, that's what, that was my next question. He's racist I, I, too. Yeah, you still getting some some flack from those guys in England. Man, they, I, <laughs> It made me not like England as a whole. Mm -hmm. Cause they robbed him so hard and they so much against me, they hate me. Right. I cannot imagine me going over there probably gonna be, as soon as I land, they're probably gonna be throwing paper at me, booing <laughs> me, calling me racial slurs, all type of shit. Yeah. But I'm looking forward to it, so I'm gonna you know, try to let it get to me for real. Now were you were you planning on unloading on him on the press conference like you did? Was that something that no, was They told me to. They told you They told me to. <laughs> Uh, I don't and know. smacked him in the face, too. <laughs> I don't know if Eddie like you saying that, but yeah. Uh, <laughs> they wanted because Peter couldn't sell no fucking tickets in Arizona, so they wanted me to add some excitement to it. Right, right. Now, because a lot of the talk wasn't coming from Peter. It was from all, all his fans and his family. That motherfucker can't sell. Right, right. He's a good fighter, but mm -hmm. he's not no prize fighter. Yeah. You know, he's never going to be a paper. Even if he did beat me, he is never going to be a pay-per-view fighter. He's... Come on, man. Yeah. Now, when you when you after the fight, you know, obviously you go back to the locker room. You talk you, you talk to him. What was what was his reaction to the fight afterwards? Man, they some sorry losers. They ain't give me no respect, nothing. Right. They all I came in their locker room to return his belt to him. They wouldn't even stand up and like shake my hand. That was just the energy was off. Is it safe to say there's bad blood going into this fight, or do you not look at it like no, that? I don't you look just... at it like that. They they hate me. Right. Well, I ain't got nothing but love for them. You right. Know what I'm <laughs> right. Come on now. Yeah, just keep it rolling, right? I don't like their sportsmanship. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But I think Peter's a, a good kid. Peter don't say nothing. But his family, you got I got John McGrill, and then I got Joe McGrill. Now, his his little brother was on the card in Arizona, too, right? Didn't you yeah, guys kind of get into it? Yeah, he was talking shit to me. He was talking shit. I'm like, man, shut Joe ass up. Somebody get Joseph. Why is Joseph Mike? Why was Joseph Mike on? Well, what, what weight class is Joe in? I think at 126 or something like that. Okay. Could he be a potential opponent in the f in the future, you think? Well, he'll probably want me after I knock his brother out again. There you go. All right. <laughs> now, without without looking ahead too much, you know, this this fight, obviously, you know, it puts you in the top 15 rankings of the WBA, um, opens up a lot of doors for Still you. Still left Peter above me, though. <laughs> so after this fight, assuming everything goes well, you know, without like I said, I don't want you to look forward, but what, what's, what's next on the horizon for Rico O'Quinn? 
Uh, I don't know. You know, I don't know. Uh, more wins. Right. Hey, I believe I got more wins coming. I believe in myself. I'm at a point now where uh, you can feed me anybody. Yeah. You can feed me to anybody. Is it, um, you know, I know, you know, in the beginning of your pro career, you know, and you've been back and forth with different promotions and had, uh, you know, had complications. Do you feel now you have a more solid team behind you and you kind of, uh, sure. is that, you know, is that something that like you trust them to, to move For you in sure. the right direction? For sure. Yeah. Who's been like the biggest addition to your, to your team that's, that's helped, helped you out with that? Eric Olson. The owner of Thomas McGee's in Detroit, correct? Yes, yeah. How has he added to the to the group, to your core group? We've been affiliated since I was an amateur. He mm. supported me. Uh, him and my coach has a good, re great relationship. He believed in me after I suffered a loss. He helped me get my first fight after that, you know what I'm saying, on a, a DeBella card. Mm. So he a great addition, and that's how that happened. You know, just uh, years of knowing each other. He liking what he see out of me, and him and my coach, a uh, great relationship. Going into the rematch, what do you foresee different? Do you, do you foresee another spectacular knockout? Do you have a different game I'm plan this time? Right. I'm coming to win 10 rounds, 12 rounds, 15 rounds. I'm coming to win. I'm coming to box. I'm not coming just banking on a knockout. You know what I'm saying? If it happens, it happens, but I'm coming to win. I know they won't give me a fair shake on the scorecards, mm -hmm. but I'm coming to win. Like, for one, who gets knocked out and get their belt on a TV opener? And then the next fight back after that, we in his backyard. Yeah, I was talking. And we didn't get added to a card. They made his own card for him. Mm -hmm. So me and him is the headline. That's crazy. I was talking to Chad a little bit today. He said that his the arena you're fighting at is, is here, and then his gym is here, and his house is, like, blocks away. So they really put you kind of at an unfair advantage as far as, like, home field advantage. You don't have that. You know, and you're the champion. Right. That's crazy. Yeah. I mean, I know, you know, it's, it's Eddie Boy. You know, Eddie, he and Eddie Pocket, Eddie, you know. But it's crazy to me that, you know, you lose, and then we, we could have got added to a card. Right. But for Eddie loves him. Mm-hmm. Because you, we was a TV opener. He lost by way of knockout, and now he got his own car to headline in his hometown. That's his favorite, boy. That's, he loved him. If there was one thing you could say to Peter McGrill right now, what would you say? Don't get sleepy on me. <laughs> Don't get sleepy on me. All right, Rico, I appreciate you coming down, man. Let me, let me come here and talk your ear off a little bit. That does it for the first episode, guys. We'll see you on the next one.